This is Bite Sized Blessings. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, and welcome to this next episode of Bite Sized Blessings. I am your host, Charles Eaton, and today we are going to be looking at part two of the story of Job that we started last week. Um, it's it's kind of funny. Last week, I had uh, someone I know say to me, Charles, you know, you, you, you say it's Bite Sized Blessings. Yeah, I didn't get a bite last week, Charles. I got a whole pie. Facts. True. That's just that's just how it goes sometimes. I'll try to keep these between 15 and 20 minutes, but you know, if it if it goes a little bit longer, y'all just forgive me. Um before we get into the text for today looking at Job, that you know this a lot has happened. Uh both in the world and in my life personally. Uh a few weeks ago, I think on episode 2, I did an episode on bite-sized blessings about the demoniac and Part of what that episode stood for was the point that the demoniac had an idea of how he wanted to serve Jesus after he was healed from his demons. And he approached Jesus with his idea of how he wanted to serve. And Jesus basically says no and nixes his idea and tells the demoniac to do something else. That kind of resonated with me this week in particular. I had a situation in which you know it's it's when you are doing ministry things and and trying to be a a selfless person and trying to build the kingdom one of the things that i think is a interesting pitfall interesting temptation is that you can be tempted to believe that just because you are doing these ministry kingdom building things that you can do it any way you would like to do it because like look i'm serving god you know like i'm 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 in here i'm doing this i'm a christian i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to help folk so i'm going to do it the way i want to do it and god you should be happy with that because you know i'm doing it but it doesn't really work that way and i had a situation earlier this week in which i very much wanted to do x and x is a kingdom building ministry-like activity, and it seemed as though I was so attached to doing X that when it seemed like all the signs in my life were were pointing away from X, it seemed like God was saying, you know, maybe you don't do X, maybe do Y instead, I was, it felt like a loss, and it felt like I was mourning the loss of, of X, of doing that activity, even though it was like a selfless thing right it would it it would have been hard it would have been difficult but i was so attached to the idea of doing it doing it that when god was telling me to you know do something else i kind of balked at it for a second and yeah i think i think you know the idea of being selfishly selfless is a very sneaky and subtle way that people who are trying to do good and trying to build up the kingdom of God can get caught up in pride, um, selfish selflessness. So that was, I had to deal with that this week. And I was like, oh man, this is crazy. I literally just did a podcast episode about this. And now it's that old, that whole episode. Part of it is sort of speaking right to my situation. God, you're kind of funny. Um, but anyway, let's, let's, 
let's get to the text. Um, today we are looking at the story of Job, um, and it's I think it's particularly interesting to interesting maybe not be the right word particularly apt appropriate to look at job this week in the context of uh, an ambushed shot and killed um, Ahmad Arbery I didn't want to look at the video I didn't intend to but I, I looked at it actually this morning before I went on a run and it pissed me off it pissed me right off job is the book for the unspeakable tragedies job is is the book for holocaust and slavery and ahmaud arbery and walter scott and laquan mcdonald i was i was in chicago i was in chicago in law school when everything about laquan mcdonald hit the fan and it's just so stunning to see how the stories of these white people change once they know there's a video. It's so stunning to see how people will just not believe you. They won't believe black folk unless they got a video to their face showing them, you know, listen, no, he really had his hands up. He really wasn't a threat. He like the default of where the average American belief lies in these situations is so consistently with racism. It, it's, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, I'm glad that they just finally decided to charge the shooters in the Ahmad case. But to be glad about that is to celebrate the bare minimum. The fact that I will be thankful for a conviction when a conviction comes, if it comes. The fact that I am thankful for that is a scathing condemnation of the criminal justice system. I should not have anxiety about whether or not these people are going to go to prison for killing Ahmad. I should not be thankful that a group of 12, probably mostly white folk, will decide to convict it. This is, the bar is so low. And they were gonna sit on that video, right? They weren't gonna charge. They were gonna sit on the video. They had it and they weren't going to charge. They're only charging because we saw it. What kind of justice is that? What kind of justice is that? It's, if you need the pressure of public sentiment in order to just charge, just charge two people who ambushed a jogger. If these are two black men and the jogger is a white woman, and this is the context for the story of Job. This is what has set the table this week for looking at Job. So let's do it. The text for today um, is going to come from Job. Look at two, a couple brief texts, but the one I want to highlight is coming from Job chapter 38, verses 2 through 7. 
and I'll also look at Job 40, verses 7 through 9. So two quick verses, Job 38, 2 through 7, and then Job 40, verses 7 through 9. This is the end of the story of Job, or near the end. Now Job has made his complaints, and God is responding to Job's claims of being innocent, and Job's claims of, I don't deserve this, and this is what God has to say. Job 38, 2 through 7. Who is this? that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Mercy. Okay, and Job 40, 7 through 9. Gird up your loins like a man, and I will question you and you declare to me, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? This is quite the thing to say to someone in Job's position. As a reminder, Job has lost his sons and daughters, lost his property, lost his wealth lost his land, lost his health. There are boils now on his skin that fester, and he has to scrape with clay, broken clay. Job's life has been upside down, topsy-turvy. Why? Right? And this is a critical part. And I'm going to say it now. We're going to circle back to it. We, as readers, know why this has happened to Job. This has happened to Job because there was a divine wager between Satan and God, and God volunteered Job for suffering, and Satan took everything from Job. That's why this happened in the story. We as readers, we understand the backstory to what has happened. We have been allowed to peek behind the curtain and see how all this came to pass. Job in the story doesn't know any of that. Job was minding his own holy business and then his life devolved into chaos. And Job's first response after his life devolves into chaos is to use language of court and trial and lawsuit to proclaim his innocence and demand that God defend God's self, right? Job's first instinct is to say, I don't deserve this. God, you, you, why are you doing this to me? I don't deserve this. And the funny thing is, even as Job is doing that, he is aware that his arms are too short to box with God, right? So I'm turning quickly to chapter 9 chapter 9 and reading from verses 2 through 8. Um, How can a mortal be just before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand. 
He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has resisted him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they do not know it. When he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Do, do you hear the parallel between how Job is describing the greatness of God and how God described the greatness of God? Job understands that he doesn't have standing to bring his claim before God. He understands that chapters and chapters and chapters before God answers. This is chapter 9. We were reading 38 and 40. One of the first things Job acknowledges is who is he to question God about anything? And yet he still questions. And how relatable is that? this week to know I know God's thoughts are not my thoughts I know that his ways are not my ways God's ways are not my ways I I'm aware of the distance and I am aware that I don't even know how great the distance I just know there is distance and it's in, immense infinite and yet when things like this happen I will still question I will still wonder why. And for Job, Job's experience causes him to desire someone to mediate between him and God, someone to step in and take up his case before God, right? Job recognizes that he is mortal. He can't do it. He looks for something, an entity to take up his case on his behalf right um job 9 verses 15 and 16 though i am innocent i cannot answer him i must appeal for mercy to my accuser if i summoned him and he answered me i do not believe that he would listen to my voice job 9 verses 32 uh, and 33 for he is not a mortal as i am that i might answer him that we should come to trial together there is no umpire between us who might lay his hand on both of us do you see how job is already anticipating the theological dilemma of christ Right. I'm not saying that he has Christ in his mind when he's saying this, but this is the problem. This is one of the problems that Christ came to address. Job has no standing before God, yet Job recognizes that he needs someone to step in and argue his case. Someone who has the standing, someone who has passed the bar in the legal language, who can go before the judge and say, yo, what is happening here? Job seeks for an umpire, a mediator, an intercessor. Job understands theologically Christ the high priest in Hebrews, the one who will enter into the most holy place and advocate on behalf of the people before a wrathful God. I love that about Job. It's anticipatory of what we need Christ for. But let's talk about why God responded the way God did. God comes in and just as Job 
pre-phases, God comes in and basically flexes. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I set the meets and bounds of the tides? And this is one of the great theological questions of the Bible. Why would God say that to a grieving Job? Many, many, many scholars, thinkers, philosophers have theorized on the problem. I invite you to do so also. Why would God say this to Job? I don't have the answer to this question. This is one of the great questions of the Bible. But I, I have an answer that I have come to live with, and I will share it. Remember, we know the truth of what happened with Job. We know why Job is in this position. He's in this position because Satan strolled up to Job, to, Satan strolled up to God and was like, what's up? And God was like, what's up? You see Job? And Satan was like, yeah, there was a challenge. And then God was like, Satan asked God for permission to do all these things. And God said, yes, this is why all these things happened. And I think the first thing I want to notice about God's response is I thank God that God did not tell Job the truth about why he lost his children and why he lost his family and why he lost everything he had spent his whole life building. Because that's no comfort. We know the answer. But it would be torture to tell Job the truth about why this happened. There was a poem. I took a class on Job at, uh, at Divinity School. And by Professor Mobley, shout out Professor Mobley. And I wish I could remember the name of the poem, but we read a poem. It's a fictionized poem of the account of Job talking with God, right? It's fiction. It's just one person sort of just writing what they think uh, an alternate version of this conversation between Job and God could be. And in this fictionalized version of this conversation, God actually tells Job, Job is like, God, why did you do this to me? And God actually tells Job the reason. It's like, yeah, Job, you know. Uh, you know, me and Satan, we were talking and, you know, we just decided to, you know, have a bet and hey, hey, I won. So that's good. You know, and that but that's basically why it wasn't it wasn't anything deep. It was just a divine wager. And the line that Job says in response to this, it's going to I'm going to remember it for the rest of my life. It's, it's such a powerful line. I'm going to paraphrase it. Don't remember exactly. <laughs> um, but this is the gist of what Job says in response to hearing why God did this in this fictionalized poem and account. So God says, yeah, Job, um, yeah, it was just a divine bet. You know, I won, so thanks for that. Appreciate it, but that's all it was. It wasn't deep. Job says, wow, all this time I had thought that the answer would be too big for me to understand. And now that I have it, I have found that the answer is too small for me to understand. Now that I have it, I find that the answer is too small for me to understand. God does not disrespect Job's tragedy by telling Job the reason why this all happened. And another thing that God could have said that he didn't, um, that God didn't, God could have said, I didn't do it. Satan did. I don't want to get too deep into this, but but the theology of who Satan is and Satan's role in the cosmos, it's in the Christian canon, it gets really fleshed out in the New Testament. Job is one of the oldest stories in the Bible. And how Job and people in Job's time thought of Satan is not at all how we think of Satan. And so 
when you if you ever read Job from cover to cover, you won't see Job blame Satan for anything. As you know, we you know you're in church and the sound system goes haywire, and preacher will say, you know, ah, the devil's in the sound system. Eh, is the devil in the sound system, or or are you just cheap? <laughs> you didn't buy a good sound system, and now it's messing up. There's no mention of trying to blame Job, blame Satan from Job or from God. It just it doesn't figure into the conversation at all. And you might think that it would, given where we are theologically, um, but for them it was different, and and it wasn't in either of their thoughts. So God doesn't tell Job the truth, that this was a divine wager, and God doesn't tell Job the fact that it was Satan and not God who did all this. What does God do instead? God says, I am big, right? God says, everything that you see that looks uncontrollable, the tides, the stars, the sun, the earth, everything that you see that is chaos is not chaos to me. I made that. Why would God say that to Job? Job is a book for senseless tragedies. Job is a book for special occasions, for when things make no sense, for slavery, Holocaust, Ahmaud Arbery, Walter Scott, Laquan McDonald, apartheid, and when we have these questions, we often go to God with why, and we get no answer. But this is why Job is so powerful. Job is the most realistic book in the Bible, probably the most important story besides the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Job tells us that awful things will happen, unspeakable tragedies, and the victims of those tragedies will want to call God into account. The victims of those tragedies will cry out and say, this isn't right. This is not fair. This shouldn't have happened this way. God, I don't understand why you would do this. Why are you doing this to us? We don't deserve this. We were minding our own holy, blessed business, and now all of these bad things have happened happened. Why God? Why? And Job does not get an answer, and neither do we. If Job got the truth, the cold, flimsy, harsh truth, it would have crushed him. Who wants to be told that this was the result of a divine bet? But if Job got some deeper, cosmic, comforting truth, if Job got the answer, the why, it would crush us because we don't get that. The power of Job is in the non-answer. Job does not get to know why these things happened, but Job is reminded that God is present, God is big, and God saw what happened. That's the only hope that I have for the context of this week. I don't know why people are this way. I don't know why white people kill black people like that. I don't know why slavery happened. I don't know why the Holocaust happened. And these are the big theological questions for me. These are the questions I think on every day. But at least I can take the comfort of Job and know that I may not get a why, but I know that God saw it. 
And I know that me being frustrated about not getting a Y, me being angry about not getting a Y, is a part of the Christian journey. God is big enough for my anger and my frustration. It's not disrespectful to have these feelings. It is part of what it means to have my own mind. And I am so grateful for the story of Job being in the Bible because I can see how God interacted and related to a character who felt the same way I do all the time. Anyway, that's, that's the bite. We get a non-answer, but I'm grateful for the answers we didn't get. And that is a crazy place to be this week. So, discussion questions. I invite you to answer the great Job question. You know, I, like I said, this is not the answer. This is just what I think. This is where I've come to settle. Um, so what do you think? Why did God respond to Job that way? Why did God flex on Job in response to Job's cries of innocence and agony? What does that do for Job? What does that do for the text? What does that do for us? Why do you think God did not respond in the ways that God could have responded, right? God could have said, well, actually, here's the reason and laid it out to Job like we as readers know. God didn't do that. God could have said, well, it wasn't me. It was Satan. God didn't do that either. So why do you think God responded that way? And why did God not respond in these other ways? And then second, I've, I've, I've stated um, that I believe that Job is, is the most important story in the Bible outside the life of Christ. Um, for me, Job is shows that it's not always you do good things and good things happen to you. Job shows that the frustration and the unspeakable horror and the tragedy happen and we question and we don't get answers. To me, this is what Job proves and this is such an important part of the Bible to be included as part of the Christian walk. But I wonder if you agree. Um, what do you think the book of Job does for the canon of Christianity? What would Christianity look like if Job was not included? How would it be different? Would it be lessened, as I believe? Um, or do you think there would be a different effect? What is Job doing in the story of the relationship between God and people? Okay, let's pray. Lord, this is hard. This is so hard. And it ain't right. And it ain't fair. Bless the family of Ahmaud Arbery. Grant them peace and anger. I pray that they see justice. I pray that this does not break them forever. Be with those who see this tragedy and are now terrified. Runners, black folk minding their own business, wondering if this is the day they get ambushed. Comfort us too, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, that's today's uh, bite-sized blessings. Uh, looks like it was another slice, not a bite. Apologies. Um, I think next week we will take one more look at the story of Job. There is a lot to talk about between what Job and his friends 
actually say in those middle chapters that nobody reads. There's there's a lot of the stuff there, stuff that's worth highlighting. So I think we'll take one more look at the story of Job and then move on to something else. Um, this has been Bite Size Blessings. I'm Charles Eaton, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at Chuck Rock, C-H-U-K-R-O-X-X. You can follow the podcast at Bite Sized Bless. Uh, find the podcast on all of the big podcast stations, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, the YouTube channel. Um, tell a friend. This is, you know, we do this once a week. Try to get these out Friday, Saturday, thereabout. And uh, I'll see you all next week. This has been episode five of Bite Sized Blessings.